Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us for a special post-New Hampshire debate reaction podcast from Manchester, New Hampshire, is Bill Crystal. So, Bill, you were there on the scene. You were there with ABC. Some people cranky about how they handled the debate last night. What was your take? Well, Mary Catherine Ham did great, first of all, if I can uh, boast about a former Weekly Standard colleague who's, of course, gone on to many great things, and she was the uh, she was the star questioner, I thought, and um, the debate was the usual mix of good questions and sort of slightly oddball ones, but my take was pretty much what everyone else's take was, which is I've been sympathetic to Marco Rubio, and I just gasped when he repeated, I guess, twice the sort of same formulations as Chris Christie was chiding him for repeating the same formulations over and over again. So that was a pretty big, bad moment, I'm afraid, for Marco Rubio. What do you think happened? Do you think that Rubio is just a slave to his talking points, or do you think he had, uh, you know, it's happened to me in broadcasting where you're, you just can't, your, your loop starts going and you can't get out of it, and he just kind of had a moment, if you, I can't call it a senior moment, a junior moment, a Marco moment. I mean, he, he, I've heard him make this argument before, and he can make it beyond talking points, which is that, and it's an argument I'm sympathetic to you, and I have discussed it before, that uh, it's sort of a mistake of conservatives and Republicans to say Obama's naive and experienced. He knows what he's doing, and he's doing it pretty in a pretty determined and unfortunately effective way. That was kind of the point Rubio was trying to make, obviously trying to take away the notion that he's the the, the attack line, trying to negate or, or blunt the attack line that he, Rubio, is the Republican Obama. But he somehow got in his head that just saying that over and over again would be effective, and it was sort of out of, at that point, it became sort of almost out of context. Who's he arguing with here? It's an interesting intra-conservative or intra-pundit debate about the nature of Barack Obama's presidency, but it doesn't have much to do about what you would do as president, for well, one you know, thing. And, and it's so frustrating. It's like a sports team where you sit at home on in, on your sofa trying to call the plays for the coach. I was sitting there going, Marco, just spin around and say yes. I give the same answers over and over again because I'm consistent, unlike a guy who hugs uh, Barack Obama one day right. and attacks him the next. But he, Marco Rubio, who seems to be so good at this, What's, is this just one of those, you know, hey, Sandy Koufax pitched a bad game. Is that what we're seeing here? Yeah, so that's the big question. And I, I thought someone had a good analogy that I think it was um, uh, um, someone had a good analogy. I'm not blanking on having my own, my own little senior <laughs> moment here. I'm blanking on Chris Christie. Chris David Christie. French, David French of National Review, which was the, the right question. Is this a Rick Perry moment where you make a mistake, a gaffe? In Perry's case, it was forgetting, you know, the, the third cabinet office saying, oops. And it sort of plays into a, a, a narrative, a, a perception of him anyway, and then it's very, very damaging. I went through this with Dan Quayle, totally unfair, but once you make that first mistake and people get the, and your enemies, your opponents get the narrative going, then every gaffe you make, if it's a certain kind especially, fits into the, uh, deepens the impression. Um, or, as French pointed out, Mitt Romney had a horrible debate in South Carolina last time. He couldn't answer why he wasn't releasing his income tax returns. Newt Gingrich pounded him on it. And Newt Gingrich won South Carolina, so it does have an effect to have a bad debate. But Romney came back, clobbered uh, Gingrich in the debate in Florida, and then won Florida. So it's not by any means necessarily fatal to your campaign. But I think the Rubio people, they're up here spinning. I saw Rubio this morning on This Week. We had a nice chat, but yeah, I talked to some of his people, of course, while he was being interviewed by George, and you know, they're oh, he did well in the rest of the debate, and uh, don't worry about it. His crowd this morning was very good at some town hall. But I, I think if you were wavering between Rubio and maybe Kasich or Bush or Christie, and you watch that debate, I, I think the odds are that some percentage, not 
all or most, but some percentage of those on the fence. And there are a fair number of New Hampshire voters, they usually have been at least, who are undecided between one, two, three, two or three or four candidates in the last few days. Some percentage, some some greater percentage of, of those now go to the other candidates. I think it puts Rubio winning second in New Hampshire, which I would have said 24 hours ago he was likely to do. I think it puts Rubio winning second in, in real question. And I have two uh, observations. First is uh, I have friends and family in New Hampshire from my Boston radio days, and they all were horrified by Rubio's performance. But what struck me, Bill, is how they were all reluctant to then say, you know what, that's it. I'm now going to Kasich, Bush, whatever. And it's interesting that these other candidates have, despite practically living in New Hampshire, have not been able to make the case so well that once you you know disengage from Rubio, why don't you just automatically go to Christie? Why not? And there's clearly something there. And then the other thing I would say is, uh, what's the old football or whatever motivational speech thing? You know, every challenge is also an opportunity or whatever. If Mark, my I'm completely agnostic about Marco Rubio. I'm never. I'm not going to get the libertarian emperor that I want. Okay, fine. I want all I want is a conservative who can win. The question, can you win, is now in danger. Marco Rubio has 48 hours to do something, to show, yes, I got knocked down. You're absolutely right. Everyone gets knocked down. Bill Clinton got knocked down 50 times. He always found a way to get back up. Can Rubio get back up, or is he going to try to cling to the spin the same way he has on the Gang of Eight? Instead of admitting a mistake and getting back up, is he going to try to spin his way out of this? No, I think those are both good points. I mean, on the first, I would say I don't think people are going to move to Christie that much because he's just far enough behind in the polls. And also, he did the damage to Rubio, but he, in a way, doesn't look so great himself when he when he did that, right? Um, that I, I kind of doubt there'll be much move to him. So I think it is Bush or Kasich. And I think Kasich, actually, if you're up here, if you're national, he's, you know, 3% in the polls. He got 2% in Iowa, and you sort of ignore the guy. When you're up here, you run into people who are for him. He's really, he's done over 100 town halls. He took that as his strategy was kind of a desperation strategy. He's running a positive campaign as a moderate, governing, responsible, establishment Republican. I don't know that that wins the Republican nomination nationally. I think it probably doesn't. I don't know that it could even win, you know, 30, 40 percent of the vote in New Hampshire. But could it win 20, 22? I think it probably can. John Huntsman got 17 percent of the vote here. There are lots of liberal and moderate Republicans, uh, and there are independents who can vote in the Republican primary. So on the first point, I've got to think, in case it last night stayed positive and really avoided any attacks. I don't think anyone is, you know, if you're just a guy, what kind of a moderate Republican type, watching these guys and kind of focusing maybe a little bit for the first time, you just think, hey, this guy seems like he knows what he's doing. He was a congressman. He seems like he's been a successful governor of Ohio. He doesn't have all the baggage that a Bush has or that Christie has. And then now, maybe, maybe people think Rubio has. The other point, and your second point, which is also uh, right, people really have been, Republicans have felt that Rubio had the best chance of beating Clinton or whoever the Democrat, uh, Democratic nominee is, was, it will be. Um, I don't know, that may still, uh, that may well still be the case, but, you know, I, I had a thought watching that of, oof, you know, Hillary Clinton and Rubio in a debate, is that going to be quite as good? And so I, he can certainly come back. He can come back in the next two days. He can come back in the next two weeks. But um, it, it was, I, I sort of agree that with those who were saying that uh, it, was, it was a moment that's going to have to be reckoned with in this campaign. And I'd like to see him address it and overcome it. That would make me more confident in him for uh, November. And I think that's 
how the campaign should view it. Let's show people what we do when we get knocked down. We'll see if they do that. Speaking of getting knocked around a bit, you were there, Bill. What what the heck happened at the beginning of that debate? Were people milling in the halls waiting for their turn? Thought they were going to start without Ben Carson? What the heck? I guess the candidates couldn't hear whoever was calling to them to go to the stage, and they couldn't hear what was happening in the hall. It, it, it looked a little a little shaky. And I mean, one of the fun things about being in New Hampshire, I mean, there's a lot of mythology about New Hampshire, and there are a lot of self-important media walking around, and a lot of people walking around pretending to be in touch with the grassroots when they're in touch with the grassroots for, you know, 48 hours. And I'm sure you could make that. I would, I would plead guilty to that, too. Uh, having said that, the, one of the fun things about New Hampshire is it is a small state, and it's, you know, snowy and cold out there, and you do this event at St. Anselm College, or once apparently a wonderful little school, but you're not doing it in some fancy studio somewhere, and there, there are regular people milling around, and the, the electronics don't always work quite the way they're supposed to, and people don't hear their cues, you know, and uh, they take they take those two breaks, you know, during the debate, and during one of them, uh, I was watching, I, I was on up top with Stephan, where George Stephanopoulos was before and after the debate, but during the debate, I just went down, kind of back, the equivalent of what you'd say would be backstage, you know, it was a gym, converted, but uh, so kind of the locker room, actually, literally, and uh, we were watching, and they were set up with you know some TVs and and uh, snacks and uh, Wi-Fi password. And then the, the, one of the, the second break, I walked down to use the men's room, and there's Marco Rubio and John Kasich also. And actually, they had to wait a minute because there were a couple of people ahead of them. You know, <laughs> they were a little nervous, like, "Hey, I got to go back on stage. Do you mind hurrying?" But you know, there are certain things you can't hurry too much. Exactly. So it, it was uh, a somewhat comical moment there at the at the urinals and. I'm joking around, and it is sort of that side of American politics. It's so everything is so manufactured and thought out and test, full tested, and, and uh, you know mostly you see people. Of course, 99% of the time it's on TV and radio and not in person. And there is something about the New Hampshire experience. Uh, I haven't been to a rally or town hall yet today, but Mike Warren and John McCormick and Steve Hayes and Jonathan Laster, all the different ones actually. I've just been talking to them, and you know there is something about the kind of retail politics side of it that is. Reminds you of you know what democracy is about. Always count on Bill Crystal for the comedy at the urinals from every political debate. You can always <laughs> thank you. Yeah, event. right. Always good. Maybe we can strike this at, from the. Uh, and I'll edit it out later, Bill. Don't worry about it. I'll edit it out. So, uh, <laughs> notice the one magic word we have not said after ten minutes of talking about a GOP debate. Trump. Yeah. Could have mentioned Trump. And, of course, part of that's bad news for Rubio. I bet he wishes we were talking Trump. But the other part is, what did you think? Did Trump do good, bad, any impact? Is he? Did he solidify his slot as the guy who's going to walk away with uh, New Hampshire uh, Tuesday yeah. night? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, a lot of, some several people I talked to thought he basically skated along. He gave Trump-like answers, which I think if other people had given them would be sort of ridiculed as having no facts or as having kind of slightly ridiculous premises like, we need a health care plan that will prevent people from dying on the streets. No, that's, 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 that's really <laughs> controversial, you know. But um, some people thought maybe the act's getting a little stale and that it won't go over quite as well as it did three debates ago. I guess uh, the smart people I've talked to up here think what will happen to Trump is similar to what happened in Iowa. I mean, maybe he'll probably win New Hampshire, but his vote will slide at the end. He'll underperform compared to the polls. If he's at 30 or 31 in the polls, maybe he'll end up at 25, 26. Um, the late break won't be to Trump. Uh, I think it could be pretty close, actually. I, 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 maybe this is the wish being fathered of the thought, but I wouldn't be so surprised if Trump even slid to the 23, 24, and then if you do the math, a couple other candidates are probably going to get close to that. So 
Um, this could be a, it could be a surprise Tuesday night, or it could be that I mean, Matthew Dowd, who's been through several campaigns, thinks no, Trump probably just you know wins in the high twenties pretty easily. <clears throat> Either way, it's a big deal. And look, if he wins, he wins. You know, a lot of analysis we've been talking about Rubio, Kasich, Bush. Where if you go fourth, fifth, people are all saying, well, can you stay in if you're fifth, sixth? Who's going to get out? At the end of the day. Uh, if history holds, it's a big if, and maybe this year is quite different, and it is obviously quite different with Trump, but still, if history holds, if you have to be first or second in New Hampshire to win the nomination in either party, if history holds, you have to be first in Iowa or New Hampshire to win the Republican nomination. Cruz was first in Iowa. He has a kind of ticket, you might say, to you know to, to stay in for quite a while, I think, just by virtue of that. Um, Trump was second in Iowa. If he's first or second in New Hampshire, he has, and presumably he will be, he has a ticket to stay in. Are there that many more tickets? I think that's really, you know, can Rubio and Kasich and maybe even Bush go on? And what are the implications of all three of them go on? And can they actually put it together then to win? I, I Part of me thinks, yeah, this could just be different. We could have five or six candidates going into March and April, getting some votes, getting some delegates. There's a lot of proportional representation even after March 15th. But part of me thinks maybe the historical rules hold and, you know, whether Kasich beats Rubio or vice versa, Tuesday night could turn out to be really, really important. Well, I think one ahistoric uh, aspect, though, is Trump, because there are so many Republicans who simply have said, I will not vote right. for Trump. And as long as the non-Trump votes stay split, you wonder where that goes. But they're not going to go to there's no point at the end where they converge and say, OK, I'll take Trump now. So I think that's kind of different. I I'll tell you what else right. is different, Bill, is uh, having Democrats invoking uh, eternal damnation as part of their campaign platform. And uh, I was stunned when former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright at a Hillary Clinton rally said that there is a special place in hell for women who don't vote for Hillary Clinton. I just, I mean, I, 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 maybe this is the new, maybe the evangelical vote's going to swing over to the Democrats now <laughs> as they evoke hell, invoke hellfire and brimstone. The, the wonderful uh, comedic uh, comic writer who writes under the name Iowa Hawk, but you know most people see him on Twitter, I bet, and follow him, and they should follow him, and yes. I'm sure you do and I do, on Twitter, had this fantastic comment, which is, well, if that means that going to heaven, mean, if that means Hillary Clinton and Madeleine Albright are in heaven, uh, and the you know the the other women who aren't supporting them are in hell. Maybe we should all hope to go to hell. You know? <laughs> I mean, do we? Uh, it's really a little bit shy. I mean, of course she you know she's just saying it and she's trying to show you know it's women's solidarity. But it's a creepy statement when you think about it for a minute. I mean, really, she's the former Secretary of State of the United States, Madeleine Albright is, and she's saying about another former Secretary of State that we're all that women all over our daughters and you know wives and everyone else are sort of betraying the cause of womankind if they don't support Hillary Clinton. If some Republican made that comment, even in jest, I mean, it would be a huge you know, scandal, and uh, the candidate would get asked about it and would have to distance him or herself from it. But I, uh, I don't know. I think we conservatives are talking about Madeleine and ridiculing Madeleine Albright's comment. But um, it seems not to have gotten much attention from the mainstream media. Well, there's another context. What if Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz has started their comments last night by saying, every his by saying if every Hispanic who doesn't vote for one of us is going to hell. You would just, that would, people would say, are you crazy? That's nutty. Also put Madeleine Albright's comments in context. Hillary Clinton said in the last debate that she is not an insider despite an entire career of inside politics simply by virtue of the fact that she's a woman. Gloria Steinem said yesterday as well that the only reason young women 
uh, support Bernie Sanders is that they want to meet guys at Bernie Sanders events, which I take personally because my beloved but misguided college-age daughter is supporting Bernie Sanders. So here I am as a dad listening to Gloria Stein of all people essentially slut-shaming my daughter. This is not just like a one-off, you know what I mean? These aren't just kind of cat. This is part of the overt marketing of Hillary Clinton. Women have a duty to support me based on loyalty to our sex. Yeah, uh, marketing and, and shaming by aging feminists or quasi-feminists, if we can be honest about Hillary Clinton and maybe some of the others as well, who are now disappointed that guess what? A lot of women, including a lot of young women, including a lot of young women on the left, like your daughter, are choosing Bernie Sanders. They're not choosing him because he's a man rather than a woman uh, in a tie. Maybe they would prefer a woman, but they're choosing him because he actually has different policy views from Hillary Clinton. We discussed this on the roundtable on this week. I, the most stunning thing about uh, Hillary Clinton George Stephan Alps did an interview with Hillary Clinton, and, you know, she had whatever. She wasn't very effective, I didn't think. But the most it's not like there's no response to Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, why can't Hillary Clinton just say, look, Bernie and I disagree on a lot of issues. He is a socialist. I'm a Clinton Democrat. I think I'm progressive. I want to tax some of the rich more. I hate those horrible Republicans. I want to protect the environment, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I also believe that under my husband, the economy grew for, for the rich and and the working class and middle class alike, and we can help Main Street without destroying Wall Street. These are not hard talking points, you know, and we've heard them for 20 years, and they've been pretty effective politically, honestly. It's hard for sometimes for us Republicans and conservatives to answer them. So that's available to her. But somehow she's so spooked by, I guess, the left wing of the Democratic Party that she can't defend what I suspect she really believes, which is that the kind of Bill Clinton-esque economic policies are both, from her point of view, pretty effective in generating some economic growth and fairer than, uh, than the horrible Republicans. But she just can't make the common sense argument for Clinton Democratic policies. I think that's a big problem for her going forward. Your campaigns, the arguments do matter. And she has no real argument to explain why you should prefer her and her policies over Bernie Sanders and his. Because she's a woman, Bill. What more argument do you need? Good grief. Let's wrap up with this. That's you mentioned, why they're frustrated. A lot of women are for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, let's wrap up with this. You saw Bernie Sanders and Larry David were on Saturday Night Live together. And I happen to know from my connections in comedy that you have repeatedly turned down the opportunity to be on Saturday Night Live until they agree to have George Clooney appear as Bill Crystal. I Can thought you were going to say Billy it? Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, I didn't see it, so you tell me about the Saturday. It was very fun. It was very funny, and uh, of course it is because you know, Bernie Sanders was going along with the joke, and Larry David was uh, was feeding the uh, you know old time socialism stuff. So it was it was classic comedy. I predict we'll see more classic comedy. I somewhat look forward to and somewhat cringe at the thought of what Saturday Night Live is going to do with Marco Rubio uh, in a week, but we'll have to see what happens in New Hampshire. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.